Welcome to Unlocking Conflict, the podcast where we look at handling everyday tensions and disagreements better. This episode, we're looking at the power of mediation, how getting someone else in can help conflicts that seem hopeless. We got so carried away talking about this that we've actually split this episode into two parts, a mediation special. This week, we look at the power of mediation, what's happening and why does it work? Next week, we'll look at how people can go about getting a mediator and things to be aware of when doing that. We hope you enjoy it. So let's dive in. Well, it's great to be here tonight with Sharon, Phil and Stephen. And we're focusing on mediation. What is it? How does it work? And how can it be useful for people in conflict? To kick us off, let's start with actually asking Sharon, Phil and Stephen what their experience of mediation has been. In one sense, it's been my job for 20 years, uh, nearly 20 years. Um, I work as a commercial mediator. Over that time, I've done well over 15, probably 1,700 mediations involving all sorts of commercial disputes. So I've bumped round people in conflict for uh, that period of time. Uh, before that, I had 25 years as a barrister and as a Queen's Counsel arguing in court commercial disputes between the same clients, not exactly the same clients, but effectively same clients for whom I'm now mediating. So I've seen both sides of it. Uh, and uh, it, I said that it was a job, uh, and in one sense it is, it's, it's what I do full time. But in another sense, it's more than a job. I think as I look at my own experience as a mediator, compared to my experience as a barrister, uh, I see a pretty stark uh, contrast. As a barrister, you're representing clients, you're arguing cases, you're fighting for the client. You are, in one sense, you're a fighter, you're a mercenary slightly pejorative but it's true it's, it's what you're really good at which is to fight a battle for a client so that was the, my first 25 years um, as a mediator on the other hand the job changes or the, the work changes profoundly because you're no longer fighting a battle you are now helping people find solutions so I sometimes say from mercenary to midwife because your job is now not fixing things. Your job is helping people work out something that they can live with. So they move through the conflict, potentially find their solution and move on. And I said it's more than a job because I think as I look at myself, um, in one sense of heart, I'm a sort of peacemaker when I see friends who are involved in stuck conflict. I look at the harm that I often see. I look at the pain, the stagnancy, sometimes the poison on relationships of unresolved conflict. And there's something in me breaking my heart is maybe too strong, but not always. There's a sense deep within me of outrage um, and sort of offence that relationships, good people have been destroyed by the way in which they have or haven't handled the conflict and something within me responds and, and wants in some way to help because in most cases not all in most cases the harm and the pain actually is unnecessary there would have been ways through that could have sorted it so i say that to some extent i've moved from work to vocation and perhaps because of that as well as the job which is commercial mediation working with corporates and individuals in the law courts fighting cases where legal issues are involved for um, 15, 16 years, I have run or helped run a community mediation charity called WMS, 
where we're working with local people living in an inner city environment, helping them deal with their own conflicts more wisely, helping them have difficult conversations, helping them look at the other without spitting or cursing or swearing and trying to engage with them. So that's my sort of experience of it. Thank you, Stephen. That was incredibly powerful. Sharon, has that sense of vocation been something that you've also experienced? I think it probably is fair to say, yes. So my background is in HR and like Stephen, I had probably 30 years with a career in HR, working for big corporate organisations and also freelancing, supporting smaller organisations and charities. And one of the things I really noticed over the years is it's probably a bit like when a dispute, a commercial dispute gets escalated to the law courts. In the HR context, when there's a conflict between colleagues at work, there are some pretty blunt instruments about how it can be resolved. Typically, a manager will wield the disciplinary procedure or an employee can wield the grievance procedure. And in my long experience, once that weapon has been wielded, it's actually really difficult to restore the relationship. So even if one person is found to have been right, it's actually really difficult for those two human beings to get things back on track again. And so that prompted my interest in, is there a different way that this could be handled? And I actually trained as a civil and commercial mediator, thinking that I'd potentially move away from HR and then found that actually having those mediation skills in workplace context is really useful. So I've formally mediated quite a few workplace conflicts over the last five years since I trained as a mediator and found it's transformational because the magic of workplace mediation is the first thing you start with is this is completely outside any other HR process. Mm. So whatever you say or whatever you hear or whatever concessions you make or whatever apology you make is outside the other person's power to kind of use it against you. And so you create this amazing precious safe space where people can have a real conversation about what's really going on um, and if you're focusing and if an organization says we want to bring a mediator in that means the organization is committed to helping those two individuals to restore their relationship because otherwise they'd be taking different action where maybe one of the one of the people is going to get moved to another department or they may even end up leaving the organization so once a mediation is happening in a workplace I'm always really optimistic that there can be good positive outcomes. And like Stephen was saying about conflict being really destructive of relationships, if you actually have to walk into work and spend eight or ten hours in a workplace with someone that you've fallen out with five days a week, that's really destructive of your mental health and your just your general well being. So I'm passionate about helping people to resolve those kind of conflicts. Thank you, Sharon. So in the workplace context Actually, you saw the impact that kind of following process and ignoring relationship can have and how mediation can provide a space that bypasses that and focuses on the relationship itself. Phil, um, what's your experience of mediation been? Yeah, so my um, prior background is in uh, the construction industry, which is very combative by nature. So we always used to talk about you would sort of go to a meeting prepared to fight. That's the culture. And yeah, we always used to joke that you'd have to gear up and put your boxing gloves on before you, you know, go for a round with a contractor or something like that. And I I found that really difficult. I found that culture of blame and 
you know, making sure you fight your corner and making sure you had a defense, really difficult. And I, I still work in the construction industry, so I still have that. But um, after training as a mediator, I sort of saw a different way that you can approach those kinds of scenarios and situations. And actually, even not being a mediator, but having the skills of a mediator in that context can be really, really helpful to try and de-escalate things and actually try and get beyond the you said what or what's your defense and actually get to the heart of what the real underlying issues are. And I've also done lots of stuff in community mediation. So that's with neighbors or people living in close proximity. And those can be really heightened, tense, very combative, destructive situations as well. And so to be a mediator, to be able to bring what is quite a lot of relief, I think, to those situations, really, I'm just amazed by it uh, all the time, actually to see that transformation. Really, that's the stuff that I really love. Thank you, Phil. So from communities to courts and commercial mediation to the workplace, the construction, you've all seen the power of mediation. Let's get into the detail of it. What actually is happening in a mediation? Why, why does it have this transformational power? The word mediation has two elements. One is to intervene. And secondly, for the purpose of agreement. If you look up the word in mediation and it's defined dictionary-wise, on that basis. So there's two stages. There's an intervention by someone else in a fight uh, for a particular object, which is to reconcile. Uh, and those are the two essential elements of it. The intervention first means that this other personal persons, the mediator or mediators, they do something. They move from a position of distance, remote from the conflict, into it. They move into the dispute and take their place, as it were, between the warring parties, the combatants, whether they're two individuals, whether they're groups, whether they're families, potentially all the way up to the scale of nations. Usually that intervening is with the prior agreement of both sides. So if you take the war zone metaphor, without the prior agreement, you'll get shot before you, before you do anything. And many mediators feel that mediating is being a bit like in no man's land with bullets whistling past. But you do it, the intervening is with the agreements, usually of both parties. You take up a middle position. So you sort of go and stand in the middle. You just go and say, well, guys, I'm here. What do you want to say to me? What, what's going to happen? Um, I described it once as being an in-betweener. My kids said, no, Dad, you do not want to describe yourself as an in-betweener. So maybe rather than an in-betweener, it should be a go-betweener. Because it's not a static process. You're in the middle, but you are moving between both sides. And you are trying to engage with both, help them engage with each other. You put yourself on the line. You create, I sometimes say, a new centre. Parties in conflict move apart from each other. And it's metaphoric, but it's, all of you guys who have been involved with the conflict will know that you sort of distance. You move apart. You, 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 you polarise. And there's no longer a middle. The middle used to represent the engagement, the relationship, the contact, the friendship, whatever it is you had with each other. Now that's gone, or at least it's principally gone, and you've gone apart. So there's nothing in the middle anymore. And there's the risk everyone is talking at present about implosion, polarization, consequences of it. But what the mediator does is just goes to stand in the middle. Um, so that, I sometimes use the term, you remass, you put new mass in the middle 
which provides the center around which the polarized parties can re-engage, to become a bridge through whom the parties can re-engage. You're also to some extent a buffer. You can prevent some of the pain that would otherwise be heaped on each other. So you take up that sort of middle position and you do it for the purpose purpose of reconciling. I think one of the secret ingredients, one of the things the mediator does is create a space for each of the people in dispute to say what's really on their minds. Because very often when we're arguing with someone, we don't necessarily even wait for them to finish sentences. We're busy coming back with a riposte and our answer and our perspective and our take on the situation. And what the mediator does is creates and and gets the people who are in dispute to agree in advance. Yes, there's going to be a part of this mediation where I'm just going to sit and listen to what the other person has to say. And I'm going to respect that space. And then when I'm saying what I want the other person to hear, they're going to have to listen to me. And I don't know about you, Phil and Stephen, but to me, that's where the magic happens. Because you can see the light going on in people's eyes where they hadn't realised the impact of some of the things they've done on the other person. Or a new fact, actually, <laughs> that they were so busy yeah. fighting that there's this relevant, salient, huge fact that, oh, now I know that. Yeah, I would be prepared to move forward. And the other thing that sometimes happens in that, what we call uninterrupted speaking time, is sometimes people will acknowledge things that they've done to hurt the other person. And sometimes that's a magic to unlock then the dialogue to re-engage again. Can I just pick up, Sharon, what you said? If I used the picture before of people having moved apart. Um, if they imagine them miles and miles apart, as it were, they say, well, it would be sensible to see if we can bring a mediator in to help. And the mediator says, okay. And the mediator then goes and stands between them. Now, you've got these two people miles apart with their backs to each other. Now, they know the mediator is going to come. Uh, they follow the mediator, as it were, and he, she, they stand in the middle. They have to turn around to talk to the mediator. And the magic thing, Sharon, you're talking about, is what then happens is that, as it were, they're now facing each other. So you've got over that crunch, which is phenomenally difficult on your own. It's one of the problems of the difficult conversations, which is metaphorically turning back to face each other when you've both been deeply hurt by what the other has said or done. And you'll stay back to back because it's safer, you're proud, you're angry, you don't know what's going to happen, you're scared, you won't turn around. Safer to go back to back. When the mediator stands in the middle, the two individual groups have to turn around and face each other. And that means the mediator's job is then to say, guys, okay, you're now looking at each other. Let's look at each other a bit more. Let's just not have a glimpse. Look at each other. I said, we said on the podcast earlier, you respect someone by re-spicioing them. Spicio, to look at, Latin to look. To re-spicio is to look again, to re-spec. The mediator stands in the middle, parties look at each other, they continue to look at each other, and the mediator, as Sharon has said, seeks to create, you talked about safe space, I use the term safe enough space, because there is always risk, you can never guarantee a safe outcome, but in the huge majority of cases, because the mediator is in the middle, the space is safe enough for those who have turned round to continue to look at each other and then to have the conversation. 
which humanizes them and makes them people rather than the other, a demonized, polarized um, antagonist. I've definitely had that experience in a mediation where initially the, the two sides were talking to me as the mediator. And so they weren't quite facing each other. They were kind of both looking towards me, you know, if you're sitting around a, a table. But slowly as the mediation goes on and as they realise, they begin to actually start being able to talk to each other across the table where they weren't able to do that initially. And so I think that is kind of an illustration of just like a slow process of, okay, they're looking towards someone. They're not completely looking away, so they're not completely turned around, but they're beginning to turn. But it's safer to look at the mediator and then slowly as they begin to express themselves, they can then be able to face each other and i think the the other thing really special thing that happens in mediation and i think it's part of the role that the mediator plays is to help the parties to they probably do have to vent and get rid of some of the pain and say it out loud and have the other person hear it but actually what the mediator then tries to do is orientate them towards a future focus and in order for that future to be a better place than the present which is in conflict what might those ingredients need to be? And so helping them to identify what would need to be in place for this relationship to be restored sufficiently that when we next see each other, we can civilly greet each other or we can sit in a meeting and not be incandescent uh, or we're neighbours and we can actually pass each other in the, in the front hall and uh, be civil to each other. And so the mediator sort of helps with small suggestions about so what would a good day in the office look like then if you guys were in a better relationship and start to get them to visualize what that new better future might might look like the power that the mediator has in that scenario is they're they're the one in the room focused on the process and focused on restoring the relationship they don't have a vested interest in either party or either side their interest is in getting an agreement or getting a restored relationship so that allows I think it can help the parties because they don't have to worry about the process anymore because someone else is worrying about that so they can kind of let go of the you know where's this going kind of element of it because the mediator is the one who's in control of that um, but also it does put someone in control of that who can then help both of those parties and shepherd them towards an agreement that the, that the parties are happy with or, or not too unhappy with. Or not too unhappy, yeah. Not too unhappy with, because part of the process, when parties just unravel and take this back at stage, much of, most of the podcasts we've been talking about so far are having difficult conversations one-on-one. How do we initiate, how do we then have the conversation with the other person with whom we have this problem, dispute, conflict, whatever it is? When it gets too difficult and it just isn't working for whatever reason, then you need help. So the mediator's help is exactly as Phil and Sharon have said, is just to be there. Yes, the mediator is in charge of process. That's the only thing the mediator is in charge of, not in charge of solution. So the mediator doesn't fix it. I, I use the metaphor right at the beginning of midwife, and in the certainly the best mediations, that is the role of the mediator. That the mediators help those with whom they're working in one sense, it may be a stretch, but in one sense, to give birth to something. Out of the, the, the sort of the, 
the furnace, as it were, of the conflict, they work together and something emerges. Uh, and if they own the outcome because of the painful process that they've been involved with, that outcome is precious because it's something they've achieved. And because it's precious and something they achieve, they say, hey, that's cool. We, you know, we are bigger than this problem. We've actually helped make it. And then because of that, the mediator who, to some extent, is catalyzing, steps into the background. I think one of my mediation trainers said to me, how many pictures of newborn babies have the midwife in the picture? Answer, very, very, very few. And in the same way, the mediator's role in one sense is to move into the background as those with whom the mediators are working find something that becomes actually, can become transformative. That's actually quite different from following a process or going to like grievance and discipline is all owned by powers outside of you and that you follow the process. Precisely. Precisely. You are re-empowering the parties. I've seen it. I mean, 25 years in the law courts fighting cases for clients, as I did. What you see at the end of it is that the problem is bigger than the people are. They can't sort it. So they need the experts and the experts sort of do what they do and they do it very well and they charge a lot of money and it's a very good outcome in one sense, in one sense. But the litigants are disempowered. They're in one sense, like the victim of a crime are the forgotten people. The arguments, the concepts of what the judge decides on or the tribunal decides on. Um, and the mediator's job is to invert that, to say, you know, you are bigger than the problem. And they look at you and they say, you must be joking. There's no way, this is impossible. And you are, as my mediation mentor said, you are both a bearer of hope. You say, look, there's hope here. I've seen it happen. Human beings are extraordinary in what they can do when given safe enough space to respect each other and listen to each other. They are extraordinary. There is hope of a better outcome, but you're also an agent of reality. You are there as well to be rigorous, uh, realistic, uh, potentially to say, look, I know you say that. Let's just take a break. Let's have a look at that. Is that really going to work? You may feel warm and cozy now. What's going to happen at three o'clock in the morning when that party starts upstairs again? How are you going to cope with the repetition of the problem that has brought you here? Yeah, I think that's something we do in all mediations. But the thing I've noticed in workplace mediations, it is that, as you say, that warm, fuzzy feeling. We've reached agreement. Yeah, OK. OK, that's fine. Thanks very much, Sharon. <laughs> that, that's good. Um, and... We don't need to write it down because it's, it's fine. We've, we've, we've agreed it. We'll stick to it. And that's the point where I start saying, so next week when you forget to do it, what's the other person allowed to do? What are you agreeing they can do if you're in breach, if you just forget? And so you go around another round of, okay, how are we going to disagree in future then? As part of our agreement, let's agree how we're going to disagree in the future. And I actually had in a community mediation once, I couldn't believe it, but one of the things that got written into the agreement at the end was that the upstairs neighbour was allowed to call the police if the fighting downstairs went on for longer than 30 minutes. She didn't have to kind of knock on the door and say, I'm going to call the police if you don't stop. She just had permission to call the police if it went on for longer than 30 minutes. Because the person downstairs fully wasn't expecting the fighting to reoccur, but she needed the confidence that actually she wasn't being a rat or 
being an unfair neighbour by ringing the police. And so she had the security that he'd given permission that, yeah, if it goes on longer than 30 minutes, you can ring. And it, that agreement transformed all the other stuff. So they, they rattled through all the rest because there was this kind of security blanket of, I know what I can do. That's a brilliant story, Sharon. I'm wondering if you have any other stories of how this has transformed what might seem a completely hopeless situation. I did a, a mediation, it was a virtual mediation three or four months ago, involving two well-known individuals in the insurance world. Uh, they were sort of city names, very well-known. They decided that they would get into business together, do a joint venture. And it became plain very soon into the joint venture that their skill sets were incompatible rather than compatible. They were close family friends. They were links for a long time. And the dispute uh, surprised them. It polarised them. They stopped talking to each other. They instructed lawyers. And a year later, they decided that nothing, they'd started proceedings. Nothing could be worse than this. They accused each other of dishonesty. They needed to try and mediate. As I'd normally do in a mediation, I would try and talk with both of the individuals before the mediation itself. Uh, They both said to me, there is no way we will even be on the same platform virtual platform as the other even to see him would just make me throw up so i said okay fine get that and asked them just to tell me what the last 18 months have been like and i had two separate conversations and i was amazed that the stories they both told were almost identical they both said this is the last thing we think about at night the first thing we think about when we get up in the morning they both said This has caused us to go to our doctors for stress relief. They both said, our families are saying, look, what are you doing with yourself? Uh, And I said to them, look, I think you need to meet virtually and say what you have told me, just that. They said, well, can we guarantee success? I said, certainly not. They said, well, look, you know, isn't it risky? I said, well, there is a risk. But my own sense was, if you are both prepared to describe what it's been like for you, what you felt, what the heartache has been, what the consequences on you. Forget the rights and wrongs of the conflict, just what you've been through. Stuff could happen. So they agreed to do that. We had a meeting virtually. They both said that. Uh, and it it really broke the ice in, in, in a positive way. They put an agreement together. Uh, the following morning, I, one of them copied me into an email that he'd sent to the other saying, we used to have a really close friendship. We've sorted out this problem. Don't you think we might be able to start again? Illustration of what can happen. I should say, it doesn't always happen. I mean, you get some messianic mediators, messianic peacemakers, who sort of float around and say, guys, it's so cool, it's amazing, do this, it's all going to be fantastic. You're an agent of reality. Some disputes don't work. My commercial mediations, most commercial mediators say three out of four quarterback cases lead to resolution. In the community field, statistics show that where the neighbours are prepared to sit in a room with mediators and have a conversation, in 70% of those occasions, they say the process has been worthwhile. So there is a residual, what might be called failure rate, but the strike rate, you know, statistically, three out of four, four to five, is pretty, it's pretty high. And it's something that if you can't sort this face to face, really is worth thinking seriously about bringing a mediator to help you do what you weren't able to do on your own. 
It's interesting thinking about the success rates there as well, because I remember hearing a talk from the army who have used mediation a lot within the army. They were quite dissatisfied with their success rate because it was too high and they thought that they weren't tackling conflicts that were really acute, which I thought was a very interesting take on success. Interesting. So I've got a story of uh, community mediation, very aggressive two guys living above and below each other one of them had they had been threatening of baseball bats and all this kind of stuff and i did the mediation with a with a co-mediator it didn't go particularly well if i'm perfectly honest we thought oh i think one of them ended up walking out it got heated again and just walked out and and we just thought oh well okay that's not great and then we heard a couple of weeks later after that mediation the downstairs neighbour had invited the upstairs neighbour in for a piece of cake and a tea and they managed to sort out their problems but it was only because they had come face to face Mm. and okay it hadn't gone particularly well but that had started a dialogue that then they could continue without the mediator there but without that kind of initial thing uh, I don't think it would have happened and so it's kind of like you don't know you we would have shocked that up as a perhaps an unsuccessful mediation, but in the end, it actually um, it actually worked out for the best. And that's where we leave this episode for the moment. We hope you've enjoyed hearing the amazing potential of mediation. Tune in next week to hear how to go about getting a mediator, how you might approach another person in a conflict about mediation, and things to be aware of when doing that. Thanks for listening.